Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, just wanted to say thank you to everyone who helped out with Rock the Block. That was awesome. We had lots and lots of people. People lined up around the block hours ahead of time. A couple of people were here hours ahead of time ready to go, and we have some more supplies, so if you need some or you know someone who needs some, just let us know. We'd love to help you out. And a big shout out. I don't, Stacy, are you in here? No, but if you see her, give her a big uh, thanks. She, she headed up that whole thing and, and just rocked it. So um, today we're in number 16, and I don't have some incredible intro for you because, well, this, this chapter should be a movie. Okay, so if you ever go into like, uh, I don't know even what you call that, movie making, um, you should do number 16, and you're going to see why real quick here. So um, we're going to just jump right into it. I'll give you a little bit of background. So this is God's people, God's chosen people, Israel. He saves them from slavery in Egypt. He brings them to this land, this promised land, and he's like, this is going to be awesome. This is fantastic go, take the land. And they're like, oh, I don't know. The people are kind of big. Uh, They're really tall. I'm not sure we can do this. And God's like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, we're not doing that. God's like, all right, fine. You're going to wander in the desert for a bit. And your generation, the older generation that didn't trust God is going to die off in the desert, but your kids will get to have this promised land. So that's kind of the background if you, if, you don't, if you haven't been following with us, but here we go. Today we have uh, our good friend Korah. So number 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelath, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men, They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Korah here, in verse 1, we, we learn is a descendant of Levi. So he's a Levite which means he served in the tabernacle, which is, which is where God's presence dwelled among them as they were traveling around. On top of that, we learn that he's a son of Kohath, which means he's a Kohathite. And you're like, oh, cool, I don't know what that means. Here's what it means. This was, this was like a subsection of the Levites. So they're not only serving in the tab- tabernacle, but they had the most important job, which was to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. So this guy's got it all, Okay. He's already in the most honored, set-apart position in Israel besides Moses and Aaron themselves. Yet, it wasn't enough for this guy. He needed to be number one. So he complains, and he gets 250 people, leaders, not just people, leaders gathered around him going, hey, Moses and Aaron, you guys are a joke. I should be the leader. So they grumble, and they, and they rebel, and, it, and it's not like, it's not like, Korah didn't already have position. He had position, he had power, but he wasn't number one. So we see here jealousy. We see here discontentment. And this is the source of a lot of sinful grumbling for us today too, isn't it? I could do it way better than my boss does. My parents, they don't don't know anything. That elected official, they're a joke. We naively say, 
I could do it better. We say like, like guess what? It's going to be me. No? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. It's going to be me. Not quite as dramatic as I was hoping for, but it worked out. I, I promised you last week, in sync was this week. So it's going to be me. So I, I actually like the music video, too, because it, it fits, because he's, like, breaking out, and he's, he's shoving JT. Got to love JT. Throwing down, throwing down his band members, even. And he's like, no, it's going to be me. I'm going to be the one in charge, right? And that's I think, is a, is a cool picture of what's going on here. Cora's like, no, I'm going to be in charge. And he's crafty, Cora. In verse 3, it says, you have gone too far. All in the congregation are holy. He starts with something that's true. It was true. Holy means set apart. Everyone in God's chosen people here is set apart from other people in the world at this time. They're God's chosen people. But he uses that truth to to question Moses and Aaron's high priestly roles, their leadership roles. See, their job was to communicate directly with God himself. And Korah's crafty here because he's not... He's not suggesting that everyone be the leader. Hey, we're all holy. We should all be the leader. No, he does that just to get the, the other 250 people nodding along with them. Yeah, Moses and Aaron, they're the worst. He's doing it so he can be high priest. He can be number one. Let's see Moses' response, verse 4. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Moses, right here, proves once again why he is the leader. He falls face down. This has happened a few times now in numbers, in crisis situations. It it shows that he's humbly dependent on God as he leads. His gut reaction is to go, help, God, help. I need you. His reaction isn't right away. It will be this eventually, but it isn't to go, hey, who do you think you are, Korah? His reaction isn't to, to go and just punch Korah in the face, although he probably wanted to. His reaction wasn't to call down fire from heaven on this guy. His reaction wasn't running away and hiding in his tent. His reaction wasn't pretending like this didn't happen, just brushing it aside. No, he's dependent. He's reverent. He's desperate. He's humble. God, I need your help. And all of us, all of us, whether you realize it or not, all of us are leaders in here to some extent. You have influence on other people, which makes you a leader. So my prayer for all of us as we lead other people is that we would be like Moses, that our gut reaction would just be to go, God, I need you. Just go face down. God, I can't do this without you. But Moses doesn't just fall on his face and then do nothing. He brings it. Look at verse 5. He said to Korah and all his company, In the morning, the Lord will show whose is his and who is holy and, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company. Put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. I love that. He, 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 it's like a slap in the face right back at him. You have gone too far. He uses the very words he said against them. How many of y'all have seen uh, the Avengers movies? Okay, a good chunk of you. So you'll get this. So I won't be a spoiler if you haven't. Um, 
I mean, if you haven't, it will be a spoiler, but if you haven't seen it now, it's been a few years. So, um, But I love it because uh, you have Thanos, right, this big bad guy, and he goes, I am inevitable, before he, he snaps his finger and kills half of the population, right? But then you have Iron Man coming right back at him going, I am Iron Man, and then, and then reverses everything. If you haven't seen it, you have no one... Just forget everything I just said. But if you, if, you have, if you have seen it, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like he's just throwing it right back in his face. I am Iron Man. No, I, you have gone too far. He uses the same words. I love that. So keep reading. Verse 8, Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself? to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers and the sons of Levi with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together today. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? He's like, all right, Korah, you think you should be the leader? Let's see what God has to say about this. And he challenges them. Tomorrow, we're going to throw down. We're going to have a high priestly throwdown. And here's a high priestly duty, offering incense with a censer. And it, it, they would just light it, and it would, it would make an aroma that was, that was pleasing to God. And God is going to make it clear who's the leader here. Is he going to accept it? Now, if Korah and this, these 250 people used their heads, they would have backed down at this point. But they didn't use their heads. See, if you, if you look back a little bit, in Leviticus 10, which wasn't that long ago for them, two sons of Aaron, Aaron's the high priest, okay? His sons offered incense with a censer in a, in, the, in a wrong manner and were killed on the spot. So if they would have used their heads, they would have backed down at this point and went, okay, never mind, we're, we don't want to do this. But they don't. And then God here makes the point that I mentioned earlier. These people are already Levites. If, if you look at this picture with me, these, these tents right in the middle, that's where the Levites are. Here's the rest of the tribes of Israel. They get the best spot, close to the presence of God. Yet, here they are complaining. We want to be number one. It's not, it's not enough for us to be nearest to you. We want to be number one. And we're not going to stop till we are. In verse 11, it says this is against the Lord. It's not merely against Moses or Aaron. No, he's like, you're complaining against God himself because God put Moses and Aaron in this position. Keep reading in verse 12. We see Dathan and Abiram. Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into the land with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Now Moses knew that Dathan and Abiram were stirring up trouble as well. These dudes have a little bit different approach than Korah, though. Korah was confrontational, just gets up in Moses' face. But Dathan and Abiram, they're, they're sneaky. 
they're, they're behind closed doors here, and they, they won't go talk to him man to man. Their downfall is not jealousy. It's a victim mentality. It's a woe is me mentality. They're not Levites. They're, they're Reubenites. Or they're from the tribe of Reuben. They're not just trying to, be, they're not trying to become leaders themselves. They're, they're just your everyday, ordinary, discontented grumblers. They say anything and everything, though, to shift the blame on Moses. Look at verse 13 and 14. That's what they do. You took away the promised land from us. You made us wander in the desert. You're living all fat and happy like a prince while we suffer, which wasn't true of Moses. They totally dismiss the fact, though, that it was their sin, their unbelief, and their grumbling that earned them the desert. And then they refuse even to talk to Moses face-to-face because, because we're victims. The statement that's, that's bookended, their statement here in verses 12 through 14 is, we will not come up. We're not going to talk to you face-to-face, Moses, because we're victims. You come to us. Now, it's easy to think this is less serious because it's not as confrontational, but it's just as serious because its effects spread way beyond closed doors, or in their case, closed tents, right? They're shifting the blame not merely on Moses, but on God. God, you did this to us. It's your fault, God. Isn't this us today too, though? We love to be the victims, don't we? We love to blame God, and we especially love to blame other people for our own sins. God, why did you make this person so cold towards me? God, why did you make my spouse so cold towards me when in all reality you were rude and harsh with them? God, you put me in this financial hole. I can't catch a break, and it's your fault when in all reality you maxed out all your credit cards to go on an extravagant an extravagant vacation last month. That's why you're in that hole. My kid isn't following Jesus, pastor. The church isn't doing its job. When in all reality, you as a parent aren't showing or sharing Jesus in your home with them. See, we love to blame other people. Jealousy, like Korah, and and then blame shifting, like Dathan and Abiram, are both cut from the same cloth. They're both attacks on God and his character and his heart. And he'll deal with it seriously, and that's what we're going to see next. Verse 15, Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not disrespect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers. You also and Aaron each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Did you catch that in verse 19? All the congregation, all of Israel is now standing up against Moses and Aaron, which means everybody in Israel is standing up against God himself. 
Verse 20, and the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Now, if I was Moses and Aaron right here, I'd be relieved and I'd go, praise God. Yes, end this. Enough is enough. But they don't. Verse 22, they fell on their faces and said, oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And will you be angry with all the congregation? I'm thinking, Moses, Aaron, what are you guys doing? We really see Moses and Aaron's hearts as leaders here. They truly loved this people of Israel. They plead their case to God on their behalf. Remind you of anyone who pleads our case when we don't deserve it before God? In verse 23, we keep reading, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all, with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive in a shield, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And verse 31, as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and, all the, they and all that belongs to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Did you notice how stubborn Korah Dathan and Abiram and the 250 are here? Wouldn't they have noticed that Moses was telling everybody to separate themselves from them? And they would have gone, oh man, this is not going to be good. Wouldn't they have noticed that God was not speaking to them, but yet he was speaking to Moses? Yet, they stubbornly stay put, knowing that they're probably going to die. It's like they're saying, I would rather die than admit I was wrong. And God listens to Moses and Aaron's plea for mercy here. He spares the rest of Israel, even though all of Israel sets themselves up against Moses and Aaron and God. God listens to them and spares all of them except for these 250 who started the whole thing. So you'd think they would respond after this. You'd think the rest of the people of Israel would watch all this and go, okay, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be obedient to God, right? wrong. Jump down to verse 41. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron 
saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Okay, at this point, I just have to stop and ask, how stupid are you, Israel? Like, really? You're now turning and blaming God for killing these people? You're now choosing to ignore their rebellion and their sin, and you're putting that on God? Did you miss the fact that God spared your life for like the hundredth time in the book of Numbers? Do you want to die right now? Verse 49, God enacts his punishment because he says it's going to be me in charge. Verse 49, now those who died in the plague, he sends a plague worth 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting and the plague was stopped. God gives them guidance in the next chapters, in chapter 17, 18, 19, with laws and structures to help them out. Again, even after their further rebellion, God graciously guides these people. He really is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So I have to stop and ask us at this point, who are we in this story? Let's, let's zoom forward to 2021. Who am I in this story? Now, you're probably not fooled into thinking you're Moses or Aaron. You know, you know what? I'm not perfect. I certainly complain. And I'm not near as dependent on God as they are. But I'm, I'm not Moses and Aaron in this story. But then you think, okay, Korah? No, I'm definitely not Korah. Sure, I can complain and rebel, but I'm not leading 250 other people to rebel with me. And you think, no, I'm probably not Dathan and Abiram either. Sure, I can play the victim and blame God from time to time, but I'm not as extreme as they are. I'm probably your regular, everyday Israelite who complained with the 250. I'm probably that, just that random Joe Schmo who said, God, we get it, you're in control, but why did you kill those guys? And, and grumbled against him at the end. You're probably that person that quickly forgot the seriousness of sin and complained about the consequences of it. Here's some sobering news for everyone here today. You're actually way more like Korah, Dathan, and Abiram than anyone else in this story. Even when you're in the second silver medal position, for those of you watching Olympics right now, jealousy gives way to complaining and stirring up others to do the same. Let me give you an example. I was a camp counselor out of Hidden Acres, which is a Bible camp, and my whole job was to tell people about Jesus, okay, to love on kids and tell them about Jesus. One summer, they had something called Counselor of the Week. Do I think this was a good idea? No, but I don't think they do it anymore, so that's good. But they had, uh, they had something called Counselor of the Week. So the, the best counselor would get this award at the end of the week, and the counselors themselves would vote on who the best counselor was that week. And so it wasn't enough for me to just love on kids and share Jesus with them. I had to get Counselor of the Week, and I did one week. Yeah, no, not so much. 
I actually vividly remember playing with and encouraging campers just when I was around other counselors so that I could become counselor of the week. It wasn't enough for me to just share Jesus with kids. I had to be the best. And if we're all honest, jealousy grips our hearts and motivates us much like it did for me at camp that summer. For many of us as well, this woe is me, they did this to me, God did this to me, this victim mentality is really like breathing to us. Just eavesdrop on a conversation in a restaurant sometime. Not, not that you would do that. Um, not that I've ever done that. But you eavesdrop, you hear, you'd hear things without even trying. And about 80% of what people are talking about is complaints about other people and other things. See, Romans 3, 10 to 18 really is true of us. It says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. See, Matt is Korah. Matt is Abiram and Dathan. And so are you apart from Jesus. So that's it. There's no hope. Just kidding. That's, that's not where we're going to end. We're complainers, we're blamers, but we're not stuck hopelessly. I skipped a section in here. Let's go back to verse 43. Number 1643. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces, and Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun amongst the people and he put on the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. What a powerful picture here. Aaron stands between the dead and the living. God's people are not completely destroyed. This is an incredibly powerful foreshadowing of the high priest, the leader, Jesus Christ, hanging on a cross between the dead and the living. We are like Korah. We clamor for power and for acclaim. We are like Dathan and Abiram. We blame God. We blame others for our own sin. We shout at God, it's going to be me. And God rightfully and powerfully goes, no, it's going to be me. Yet tenderly, lovingly, doesn't just leave us there. He sends himself, Jesus, to die the death that we deserve because of our sinful grumbling. And he gives us full access to himself for all eternity. See, Jesus really is the true and better Aaron. Jesus really is the true and better mediator between God and man. 
First Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Listen. Listen up. If you've been tuning out, listen up. Perhaps your greatest frustrations in life right now have very little to do with your circumstances and have everything to do with your complaining. Perhaps your greatest frustrations right now have very little to do with what's going on around you and everything to do with what's going on inside of you and coming out of you in the form of grumbling and complaining. And here's my invitation for you today, whether for the first time or for the millionth time, admit to God your sinful complaining and blaming. Confess to God your sinful complaining and blaming and repent. Turn away from trying to be God. Repent from trying to be like, like in the place of God and blaming God and enjoy God through our mediator, Jesus Christ. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving yourself for us. I thank you that just as Aaron ran out in the midst of the plague and stood there between the dead and the living, you came as a baby, humbled yourself to the point of death on a cross and stood between the dead and the living and said, this is the way to be right with me. This is the way to live. Come to me and find life and joy and peace and rest like you never thought possible. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us, for being the mediator between us and you, God. That even though our sinful complaining, even though our sinful blaming of you and others separated us from you and earned us a first class trip to hell, you said, no, I want to be with you and I want you with me for eternity. And you ran into the fray and said, trust in me. Let me be your substitute for the punishment that you deserve. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you that we do have hope, that we do have the whole story here in front of us. And we can see, God, that this is just a foreshadowing in number 16 of what you did for us on the cross, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.